Chapter 1, Ralph and Margaret. In 1964, a rebellious 15-year-old named Ralph Lawson departed from Jamaica, embarking on a significant journey to forge a new life in the United Kingdom. The local gossip was that Ralph would find himself either dead or incarcerated. Growing weary of his antics, his brother and grandmother decided to send him to his mother, Zella, who resided in England. Vibrant and energetic, the youthful Ralph was a tall and dashing teenager, embodying the spirit of the Windrush generation. All his belongings could fit into two bags, his sole possessions during his inaugural flight. Ralph landed in the UK with scant money and no acquaintances. To reunite with Zella in Wellingborough, Ralph took his first train ride. The reunion with his mother was tense, and she insisted that he couldn't idle around the house. Swiftly, Zella directed Ralph to secure employment. Initially, he worked at the nearby Weedabix factory, but quickly grew bored, given his untamed nature. Intrigued by the prospect of mastering a skill, he chose to train as an apprentice electrician. As Ralph adapted to his new surroundings, he bonded with fellow Jamaicans at the local PSV club, where he found joy in reggae music and games of dominoes, a comforting echo of home. With his radiant, expansive smile, Ralph quickly gained popularity and took up the saxophone. He established a band called The Alphabets, taking the lead as the saxophonist. The band comprised Ralph's Jamaican friends, Azizi, trumpet, Sonny, piano, Barry, guitar, Granville, drums, and Frank, bass, alongside two white Englishmen, Peter, trombone, and Chris, tenor saxophone. The Alphabets mainly performed soul and Motown tunes, but given the era of rock and roll, they also played hits by Elvis and the Beatles. Being a mixed-race band in the 1960s was a gamble. The audience could shower you with anything from undergarments, if they fancied you, to bananas, if they despised you. Although they gained fame in Manchester, the Alphabets earned meager pay. However, spurred by London music producer Tony Hatch, they toured Europe for several months before returning to the UK. Financial struggles persisted, even a prestigious performance at Blackpool Tower netted them only 200 pounds. After covering travel expenses with their decrepit vehicle, they could barely afford a bag of chips with their share of the earnings. Unfortunately, the band often faced racial discrimination. The Race Relations Act of 1968 aimed to curb discrimination in housing and employment, yet it didn't shield Ralph and his bandmates during their tours. They frequently encountered prejudice from hotel owners who falsely claimed no vacancy. The group devised a strategy where Peter and Chris would secure a room first, and then the entire band would covertly join them. A tight but feasible arrangement. In 1968, during a frugal tour in Scotland, all seven members shared a single hotel room, partitioned only by a curtain. This setting was hardly ideal, especially if someone wanted to entertain a female guest. In Glasgow, Ralph encountered Margaret, a charming and petite 17-year-old local. Drawn to Ralph's charisma and humor, Margaret started attending the Alphabet's performances regularly, trailing them across Scotland. Their clandestine meetings were confined to parks, as a conventional relationship was impossible due to societal norms and her father's racial prejudice. Their affection blossomed amidst whispered conversations and laughter during many hand-in-hand -hand walks in the park. Soon, Margaret discovered she was expecting. A staunch Christian, she couldn't consider abortion. Unable to reveal the truth to her family, she fabricated a job opportunity in Manchester as a pretext to move there and start a new life with Ralph.
In northern England, their union was slightly more tolerable, although still met with societal disapproval. Ralph genuinely loved Margaret and endeavored to provide for her using his gig earnings, which meant frequent nights away. Margaret found solace in the company of a local girl named Lorraine, her only friend in Manchester. Her days became increasingly monotonous and frustrating as her pregnancy hindered her from seeking employment. On the 2nd October 1969, accompanied to the hospital by Lorraine, Margaret gave birth to a healthy baby boy of 6 pounds 11 ounces. I was named Chris Lucas. Dad tells me that he went to visit my mother several times in hospital, but then suddenly, one day, Margaret disappeared. Without any warning, she had upped and left with me, and Dad had no idea where either of us were. I often wonder why this happened. Having gone to such extreme lengths to have me, Margaret must have really loved Ralph. So, did Ralph do something to piss her off? Or had the realization of Margaret's responsibility suddenly kicked in? Was she frightened by the stigma of their interracial relationship and unable to face life with Ralph? Was the prospect of raising a child too frightening for her? Now, of course, I'll never find out. But who would have known, back then, that I wouldn't see my dad again for over 50 years? On October 2, 1969, with Lorraine by her side, Margaret welcomed a healthy baby boy weighing 6 pounds 11 ounce named Chris Lucas. Ralph visited the hospital multiple times, but suddenly, Margaret vanished with the baby, leaving Ralph in the dark about their whereabouts. The disappearance is shrouded in mystery. Margaret's drastic actions indicate a deep love for Ralph. Did a disagreement cause her sudden exit, or did the harsh realities of societal judgment and the impending responsibilities overwhelm her? Sadly, the answers remain elusive. A half-century would pass before father and son would reunite. Despite the devastating loss, Ralph resumed touring with the Alphabets. His attractive features and musical talent never failed to draw female attention. He fathered children with five different women over time, embodying a Lothario with a golden heart. Meanwhile, Margaret, with infant Chris, stayed with Lorraine for a few weeks before finding a home in Maside. The tumultuous neighborhood often led to baby Chris crying incessantly, inciting further disdain from the already resentful neighbors, who looked down on Margaret for having a biracial child. Eventually, the strain of single motherhood overwhelmed Margaret. She yearned for her family in Scotland, who were still oblivious to Chris's existence. Following a concerning doctor's appointment where bruises were found on Chris, the doctor suspected abuse. It was suggested that he be placed in foster care temporarily to give Margaret a respite. Margaret intended to reveal everything to her family in Scotland and then reclaim Chris. However, she never returned, leaving Chris to ponder if she ever disclosed the truth to her father or if societal pressure coerced her into leaving her child behind. This painful chapter marked Margaret's permanent exit from Chris's life, leaving unanswered questions and a yearning for closure in her wake.